Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Good evening and welcome to tomorrow's news. I am sitting in a lane house in Shanghai. It's been three and a half years since I've been back in the city. And as someone who left in 2020 for two weeks back to Australia, it's definitely a bit of a shock to come back into the city. So today I am going to be in the hot seat, sharing some of my observations of what I've seen around town and answering some of Gavin's curiosities. That's great, Lucy. Great to chat with you. And, uh, you know, you came home for two weeks and you stayed three years. We're sure pleased about that. But how strange for you to come back to what is clearly a very different Shanghai to the one when you left. I'm mostly interested in what I would call the shopping bag check, which is what are consumers actually doing in Shanghai, shops and restaurants. Well, look, my first feeling when I returned was that Shanghai felt a lot more quiet than I remembered. I definitely noticed a reduction in foot traffic and people in big shopping malls, on the streets and in restaurants. I was in a big shopping mall yesterday, actually, with my family And it was a public holiday in Shanghai, in China, Tomb Sweeping Festival, which is a big holiday where people pay respects to the past. But in the evenings, generally those kind of obligations are passed and yet the shopping centres were, I would say, half full from what I remembered back three years ago. Right. And when you're walking through, if we were doing this in in the US, we used to do this a lot with the retail analysts, is you do the shopping bag check. Do people have a lot of shopping bags? No, it was definitely browsing. Definitely browsing. And when you look at the shops, I imagine you're at a higher end shopping mall. I'm just guessing. Has there been any change to the stores? In the shopping centers, all the stores seem to be open. I've definitely noticed that has tended to be, and this isn't just in the shopping centres, this is walking around the streets, this is not exclusive to retail shops, but also to restaurants and hospitality. I've noticed probably more of a shift towards a more localised landscape, so a lot more Mm. Chinese stores. Shops that were open three years ago, for example, in Nanjing West, Joe's Pizza had opened on the corner those places have now shut and you do still see lots of Starbucks, lots of new Starbucks, but it seems like there's been a consolidation of foreign brands and there's a lot more diversity in local brands. Interesting. And when you look up on the billboards around town, do you see as many Nike ads as you remember or have those been replaced with with more local products? Definitely not, although I have just moved to a bit more downtown, so close to Xintendi and Huaihai, which is where a lot of the big brand names, you know, the Victoria's Secret, the Nike flagship, a lot of the 
global flagship stores are. So I will be able to share some more observations in our WhatsApp group after. But overall, no, it's a lot more localized. It's actually less consumer advertising that I've seen around. There's a lot of billboards and signs about having a greener and a cleaner Shanghai, which does relate to another interesting observation that I've seen coming back, which is the significant increase of electric vehicles in the city. Wow. And what's the number one brand you just see on the street everywhere? Is there one or is it pretty diverse? It's an interesting question, actually. The number one brand is just something that you don't know. That is the number one brand that I've seen, which basically gets into there's so many different EV car brands. Whilst we drove the 10Ks from my the office that I'm working at to where I am now, I probably saw a one-to-one ratio, if not more, of electric vehicles to petrol cars. It's an interesting broader thematic, by the way, which is that China has become, and I'm going to make it the stat wrong, but I'm close, the number one global exporter of automobiles. There's no question that their global export market is huge. But when we look at the stats domestically, historically, it has been global brands manufacturing in China, and that has actually been overtaken by domestic brands. One of the things that struck me when I was in Shanghai uh, would have been 2019, was how they'd quickly transitioned from petrol-powered scooters to electric scooters. Mm. And it now sounds like there's a really fast transition to electric vehicles, because I don't remember electric vehicles in 2019 being that dominant no, at all. No, it's very clear on the roads here because electric vehicles have green number plates. So it's a very easy way to identify which car is an electric vehicle. And going back to your comment about how fast they can transition in terms of getting more EV cars on the roads is simply you don't need to go into a lottery to get a number plate to get your registration when you buy an EV car. And that for most Shanghainese at least, who wait many years without being successful in getting a registration, and this is something that you can't pay for, you have to basically be picked in a lottery system. That's enough incentive for them to transition to an EV car. And they're not very expensive. The BYD car is roughly 100,000 RMB, so $20,000 Australian equivalent. So it's not a huge expense. You get an automatic registration given to you so you can drive immediately on the roads, which is interesting because it goes to the question of what exactly is their end game? What's their goal? Is it to reduce more cars on the road? Because that's not happening if you think every single person who has an electric car will be able to drive it on the road. And they give each car owner a charger, a charging port, which they can install at home. They make it very easy for people to to move to the EV. Well, it does bring up really interesting questions. We've seen a few trends in North America. One of them has been a reduction in the amount of parking 
that is available, both in residential and cities. We've gone from a period where a single person drove their car to work and parked it all day to people using combinations of Uber, remote work, and so forth. So we don't need as much parking. Maybe China's going the other way. They're going to find themselves with a bit of a parking shortage if it's very easy for folks to each have a their own vehicle. That's quite interesting thematic change. One of the things that's always going to dominate a conversation about probably every economy, but certainly China is, you know, housing. What's the vibe? What are people talking about? Are they optimistic, pessimistic? What's the tone around around housing in aggregate? I know it's hard to answer, but yeah, it's interesting. So, Mum and I were staying a long line too. And for those of you who isn't so familiar about Shanghai geography, line two cuts across from Hongqiao, which is the domestic and international airport out west, to Pudong, to the east. And it cuts across Jing'an, the central business district, the banking and financial district in Pudong. It's pretty much the most prosperous metro line in Shanghai, if that's a way that you can describe metro lines. We happened to stay next to a real estate agent and coming home from dinner, mum and I bumped into one of the agents there. And in his view, during COVID, there was a huge turnaround in terms of housing in that particular area. A lot of people decided to leave their apartments. But for him, it's still going incredibly well at the moment. He's very busy. There's a lot of demand. And using this as an observation, and Gavin, you can probably talk a bit more broadly about the macro trends that is existent across other regions in China, but at least for Shanghai, things that probably weren't as important to home buyers for example, having public spaces within their compound are now things that are driving up the value of an apartment because during lockdown, apartment compounds that had a lot of open space really meant that its residents had a way to walk around and not be completely locked up and being stuck in their apartments. And so I think for a lot of people, these have now become really important attributes that they look for when they're buying an apartment. It's a really interesting human phenomenon. And it's always hard to know what the overhangs of a crisis will be. If we take ourselves back to World Trade Center 2001, we can observe a few things, right? One of the things that really changed was airports domestically in the U.S. would never have the lack of security again. There was one guy who tried to blow up a plane using a bomb in his shoe, and we've been taking off our shoes at airport security forevermore. Strangely enough, some things just stick with people as critical shifts in thinking. And we've seen this globally, and it is interesting And it may be in China that it is really interesting that people suddenly think about space differently because once they've had an event like this, they're fearful that there could be a similar event. It does bring me to another thought, which is the other thing that happens when you have an event like this is that people may think differently about the security of their employment, the security of their health care. 
you know, that there's really no social safety net in, in China. Have you heard people speaking differently about how they think about those elements relative Let, to what you yeah. heard before? Less so going back on the security and the spending, one thing kind of going back to housing and you know home loan lending policies and and I can't comment on how that's perhaps changed, but at the moment to borrow money from a bank in China, if you have borrowed before to buy a house or an apartment, even if you have cleared your debt for the Chinese government, for the Chinese banks, whenever you borrow your second, you know, the second loan that you take out, you're only allowed to borrow, I think if I remember correctly, 35% of what your loan, you know, your full apartment cost is. Mm. And if it's your first, it's slightly higher, but not a huge amount. And that really surprised me because as someone who's a recent home owner, you are allowed to take a much bigger loan in Australia. Mm. And that links to the sentiments of saving and of security. And so what the agent was telling me in terms of these apartments, and just to give our listeners back at home in Australia a sense of what the prices are, a 100 square metre apartment around 10 kilometres from the central business district is roughly $2.4 million Australian. So it's pretty expensive. And if you were to buy these places, he was saying that the majority of the homeowners are entrepreneurs from outside of Shanghai who can basically pay for everything up front without needing to take out a loan. And even if they did, it would be a very small loan. So the level of savings that a Chinese person would need to have in order to afford a property like this is pretty high. That's very interesting. And it sounds like demand for these properties, which I would call them not quite prestige, but the higher end hasn't waned at all as a store of value. One of the things I'm always curious about is changes in taste and focus. Have you sensed any change in community behavior? Are people getting together more socially, less? Are people more focused on family? Are people spending more on home, on dogs uh, than they were before? <laughs> curious to know why you mentioned dogs. Just because my cousin recently got herself a dog and she seems to think that in the last few years, and that's perhaps something to do with COVID, that the number of dog owners in Shanghai has skyrocketed. There's no founding fact behind this. It's purely her observations, but it seems like, at least in her compound, there's a lot of dog owners. In terms of socialising, I haven't been around too much. We're doing an event tomorrow night, so we'll see what the sentiment is. It seems like there is a bit of activity, but at the same time, overall, and I think that's looking at the streets and how busy subways are, shopping centres are. People aren't leaving unless they have to. 
So people mm. aren't just going out to socialize because that's fine. Well, I'll post some stats on pet ownership. There's no question that pet ownership in China has accelerated. It's interesting. It correlates with a low birth rate, by the way. Basically, mm-hmm. people choose pets for companionship instead of having children and lots of reasons why people might do that. But it is interesting. That stat is supported certainly by hard evidence and it sounds like it's pronounced. It also sounds like you're saying people still a little cautious from a health perspective, which is interesting. Lucy, it has been great talking to you. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Thank Such you. Such great insights. I'll find a chart on pet ownership just for interest. We can post that in our uh, show notes and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Yeah, thank you so much, Gavin. And I know that Will will be in town in a couple of weeks as well. So I'm sure that he will be able to share a lot of insights from the e-commerce and consumer space for our listeners. So I'm sure we'll have a really great conversation with him as well. Yeah, look, I look forward to it. Take care and have a great evening in Shanghai, Lucy. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.